Good morning and good evening, Lise. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. I'm on cloud nine today. How are you, Mark? I know. And OK, before we kick off, then tell us why you're on cloud nine. What happened yesterday? Because at seven o'clock Sydney time this morning, Liverpool won the Premier Football League thanks to um, Chelsea beating Man City. So anyone who's listening, I've probably lost a few fans from that one. But um, I'm, I'm thrilled to bits. Like we've waited so long and they've finally started the Football League and Liverpool have won it. So and this is the first time in 30 years, am I right? This is the first time in 30 years, so never thought we'd see it in our lifetime, and it's here. It's ma- it's magical. It's amazing. Okay, well, <laughs> I won't I won't tell people your age, but I know I remember when Liverpool were at the top of their, let's call it the Premiership game, back in the, well, 30-odd years ago with the likes of Groblar and Ian Rush. So uh, I do recall those days, so that's oh, great yeah. news. We're back to our best. So yeah, it was an amazing start to the day. How are you, Mark? I'm very well. Again, I, I'm not a football fan and I really have no idea what we're really talking about, but I can pretend for the sake of the podcast. Um, now, all is good. All is good. And for anyone listening, they should know that our pre-podcast preparation last night saw you in a vest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's very hot. Like I said, a it's still very out. sweaty. A workout there. Work workout. Well, I, yes, I, I hadn't even changed from working out because I was so hot. Um, but to bring people up to speed now, just in case, I'm not sure when people will be listening to this, be it directly as I sort of upload in the next couple of days or weeks down the line. We're now, I think, week 13 in lockdown. Um, oh my goodness! In the UK, and everything now is starting to ease up a little bit. Um, what well, we can sort of discuss very quickly about the comparisons, but here in the UK, for example, bars and restaurants will now be given a date when they can open up, which is next weekend, the fourth of July. Um, albeit they're going to have to be obviously socially distancing, and only only facilities and I guess businesses that can actually function using self distancing, and they've reduced what was two meters the pre pre-guidance on social distancing down to one meter plus just so people in the um, pubs and restaurants I guess game can actually function because most pubs as you imagine pubs in the UK is particularly often they're quite small and keeping a two meter distance in a pub is almost impossible probably also means from our last podcast for anyone who did listen to that one and we spoke about how long your arm is and perhaps it's an arm's length so obviously not not everyone's got arms as long as you, as we discussed last no, time. That's so very true. <laughs> one, one, one meter seems about right. <laughs> and gyms, for example, are still not open here, and we still don't have a date for when gyms will be opening. So that's bloody frustrating. Um, people have been told that they can extend their what I don't know if you've got the same terminology. Their social bubbles, so people can actually have um, wider groups involved in their social bubbles now. People can visit. I don't know what the numbers are because it changes the time, but you can go and visit, let's say, two households, two separate households, households, and again travel as well. We're still trying to fathom what you can and what you can't do, but I think for the most part, people can't travel internationally. If they do, there's quarantine issues. We still have to self quarantine. I think two weeks if you're coming back into the country. How about you, Lise? How's Australia getting on with this lockdown easing? In complete contrast, that sounds really still far-fetched to me that you're still in lockdown. And I know why, obviously, your numbers are really high. So in contrast, our gyms have been open for two weeks and I am a genuinely happier person for it. I've got football and the gym. And, and, and I mean, we've, our pubs have been open a bit longer as well. Um, again, the social distancing applies. I've been out a few times now for dinner in different places where, if I'm honest, social distancing hasn't been very well enforced. Um, but there is sanitizer on the way in, recording of names on the way in and that kind of thing. So should anyone 
come down with the virus if they've got a record of people's names and phone numbers to contact. Um, but again, it's because our numbers are so low in comparison to most most of the around the world. And um, so our lock lockdown has, it, to be honest, it doesn't feel the the biggest thing at the moment over here is just travel. So the travel restrictions, we did have all international travelers off the cards, and we've been told it's likely to be off the cards for the rest of 2020, which hit me hard because, um, you know, I'm a bit of a, like, I do like to go and see different places. And I had a workshop that I was supposed to do in America, so that's all on hold till 2021. Um, and there's been a few spikes in the um, Victoria, so they've closed the local borders too, so the state borders have closed again. So people can't people can't go interstate now. You can't unless you have a reason to. So my uncle travelled back to Queensland from Tasmania last Friday, and they'd opened the borders. There was very low cases, so they'd opened the borders. He travelled back on the Friday. Two days later, they've closed the borders again, and he didn't have to isolate. But anyone who does cross the border, say if you if you actually do live in the in the other side, if I live in Queensland, I can go to Queensland, but I have to um, isolate for fourteen days when I get there. And they are quite strict. They're quite strict here about enforcing that. Again, our numbers are really low and our statistics are really good. So everyone's doing all they can. Australia is quite good at doing what they're told, it seems, at the moment. So but in terms of like the gyms open and stuff like that, like it all seems to be getting awfully back to normal. What about cinemas? You got, can you get our cinemas open? We've got a date for the cinemas. So the cinemas is the 9th of July. But I would say that, the only thing as well that hasn't opened, so also I think nightclubs are going to be, anywhere that has seating is allowed to open from the 9th of July. But there no, there's no um, nightclubs and theatres can open, but no nightclubs. Like all of our galleries and things are open. Um, so we're obviously we're a lot more open than you guys are. And there's no logic for me in the UK in that they've not opened your gyms yet, but yet they'll open the pub. <laughs> Yes, I know. But again, I think we spoke about this. I mean, not to go too much on the subject, but I think this it will be to do with revenue um, and taxes. Yeah, they've got to open up a lot of the economy. And I know that the UK has started to even talk about having um, travel in terms of travel to Europe and things, which here, it, I mean, travel. the travel industry has been hit massively here. Qantas has um, announced so very many um redundancies and things like that and jobs laid off but it is the one thing i truly believe that's kept us safe and so i guess the uk is so far beyond that stage they might as well get the economy going i think so i mean there's been so much happening recently with protests and people going i mean this with the heat wave happening people heading down to the beaches in droves huge numbers and think okay social distancing really has been completely forgotten about which i think we spoke about this last time people just getting frustrated people just want to get out and I think we're seeing that in, diff in different forms as well. We're seeing it like there's been no, we've had a few of the um, protests here about the race riots um, and about the whole um, racial equality. So there's been a few protests that have sparked one or two cases that have led to a ripple of cases. So I think at the moment they're having to open things up as well because there's just so very many angry and frustrated people. Well, you're right. You said before, it's, the economy does need to sort of have a bit of a kickstart. And that's also starting to show a little bit of an upswing as well here. So I've had a lot more calls this week about work and about um, sort of things starting to get going again. Well, Liz, look, we've, um, what we wanted to do is have a quick chat today about uh, brands and brands returning to the market. And I think uh, Lisa and I have had a couple of discussions outside the podcast on what brands need to be doing at the moment in order to make this the most efficient route to market possible for them uh, for themselves. And back to basics was a sort of a nice sort of form summary and way in which we were sort of summing it up. 
uh, I think we were asking ourselves, who would this podcast be most relevant to? And at least you might have an opinion on this, but I think it's probably going to be for both brand owners, including entrepreneurs and other creatives in the industry too. Yeah, definitely. And I think we talked about it in terms of like companies, brands and people getting back to basics. So the whole economy is, you know, the whole world has gone back to it's all we're going to talk a little bit more about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and that nice little triangle that we spoke about in the last episode but I think in terms of who will get most benefit from this is we're talking about back to basics for us as consumers because we might be designers but ultimately we're the users of some of the products that we're designing for and also for brands and even for creative people and, and business is to kind of all right where do we start when we get restarting again I've spoken to so many people this week in stores Um, and out and about when they've been like oh it's been back to work and actually people now it's finally come to the stage for everyone to start getting back to work even like the people on the desk and at the gym and the personal trainers yes they're excited to get back to work but there's also a bit of an apprehension of oh we've got used to this new world of not having to do things or not being sure what to do and now all of a sudden we're meant to just restart and everything's fine. We spoke about this in the very, when we very first started doing a pandemic podcast, we spoke about doing our own core values, didn't we? Um, and it was something that I'd already started doing actually before all of this had kind of kicked off is to kind of what's important to me as a person. And then when I go out there and look for clients or work with other people, what key things are your deal breakers? And that just comes back to who you are, why, we, why on earth and why the heck do we do what we do? Um, and why should anyone really care? And I think those core values are also what ripple through to brands um, and what a lot of people, because we've been in a, such a reactive state for so long, this whole pandemic kicked off, everyone pushed out advertising, marketing, communications of some sort, and now it needs to go back to basics and go, look, we've put all this content out. Now we need to focus on who we are and what we do and whether it's relevant. We didn't have a plan for a pandemic, and now we need to have a plan for whatever what we're going to say in the future. Well, you you touched on something yesterday when we had a pre-podcast conversation which I thought was brilliant and it was almost about summing up I guess the fundamentals of um, the hierarchy of needs triangle the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and it was all about honesty simplicity and transparency which I thought was a great summary of the way in which brands need to be thinking at the moment not making things too complicated and that's the thing like there's a nice there's a nice piece of research by Mumbrella Australia and it's very much on the Australian market but KPMG did some research recently that showed that everything at the moment people just want basics they want functionality and through all their online channels the and which is why we draw it back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs is they want safety and security and they want reassurance and they want honesty and trust from brands Um, And it's obvious to us, of course, you want honesty, of course, you want transparency, of course, you want simplicity. But so many brands and so many, so much marketing, there's so much content out there, so many people get it wrong. It's the simplest of things. We want you to be yourself. We want you to be honest, transparent and just easy to understand. And so many people overcomplicate or they just try and sell you a dream that isn't real. And so I think this is what, to me, back to basics means. Well, I think the reference to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think is brilliant. And just to, I had to remind myself of the detailing within the, within the actual um, triangle visual, if you like. So it's split into three areas. You've got the, at the bottom of the triangle, the widest part, you've got the basic needs and let's if we can talk of this in terms of the brands as well so in the basic needs you've got your safety needs and your physiological needs now they mean sort of security and your physiological needs your water warmth rest and food um, then once those have been ticked off and you know you've got those in place and work 
And then you move on to your psychological needs, esteem needs and belongingness. And once you know you've got those kicked up to it, and then you start to move into the self-fulfillment needs. And in terms of a brand lease, where, where do you think that fits? The other thing I would say is that when this all kicked off, there was a lot of people that ultimately your base needs, so your food, your sleep, um, and your security, you look to generally from your job or from the government. So they're the ones that are normally satisfied by things that are not outside of your control, but they're naturally expected. And so at the very start of this pandemic, when none of us knew it was going to last for the next three months, four months, heck, it could even go on for the next year or so until we find a vaccination or you know solution to all of this, is that everyone climbed straight to the top and said, all of a sudden I could die tomorrow and, you know, there's a potential this might not end the way we thought it would. And they move straight to the top. So self-actualization is why am I here? What is my purpose? And why do I exist on this earth? Most people jump straight to the top. And then when people got locked in their houses, they were doing the things that they go, well, I can be more creative or I can do all of the things that make me feel more fulfilled as a person and a human, even down to I can go and help my neighbor. So there are things that make you feel better as a person. But ultimately, as it went on and on and on, the fact that we needed a place to live and a place to sleep and that food was getting panic bought, the base needs started falling apart. And so for me, actually, when, when I look back at that triangle, the middle ones were the ones that were a bit more kind of almost the steady bits and the top and bottom sort of interchanged throughout this whole pandemic. Well, I think the other one as well that sits at the top is, I guess, problem solving is a nice way to put it. So under the self-actualization um, with with that problem solving, you can only do that, I guess, once you've established your basic needs. I've got some examples which I'll bring up later on about brands that I think are doing the back to basics very well about how they've sort of they understand what the basics requirements are. And then they've moved into that sort of, uh, I guess, that bit of problem solving area and they're doing it in an exceptional way. Definitely when all of this kicked off and, and I guess the whole panic buying, we looked to the brands that were doing it well, definitely, and statistics have proven that from some of the KPMG research here is that things like Coles, which is like your same phrase, having a community hour where people who were over a certain age had an hour where they could go in without having to fight, without fighting through the crowds and all of those things. And then there were also incentives set up, like they would only allow you to buy two items of, say, frozen vegetables or whatever. So those are the kind of things that are reassuring people that their food and sleep and their base needs are going to be met and that there are brands out there that are trying to support them in, in serving those needs. I guess those are the brands that are actually doing quite well. They had over here in the UK, um, there were packages that the government were sort of piecing together or formulating for um, vulnerable households. And these packages, they were quite hard to get hold. You had to sign up on the on a government website to ensure that you were um, able to receive them. But once you had signed up, elderly people, for example, receiving these packages, which included what looked like sort of post-Second World War ration boxes, which had digestive biscuits, UHT milk, um, tea, of all things, tea bags. Um, what else? I think oats and pasta and some basic uh, tin tomato sauce, but real simple back to basics packages it sounds it sounds like the kind of package that your mum would send you when you first moved to australia and you're missing and you're missing england but again <laughs> it's covering those basic needs and what was happening is some of the i guess leading brands were being placed into these packages um tins of baked beans i think being thrown in there too stuff that you really thought okay you wouldn't choose if, if... well no but do you know what if 
if you were that brand, what a fantastic brand story to claim then that you are one of Britain's essential items in a crisis. That's just true. Fantastic. Well, PG tips, and I think there was digestive biscuits. It's the stuff that you thought there. It's stuff that you you remember your grandparents probably force feeding you as children or giving you as a, what they termed as a treat. Whereas nowadays, I mean, ooh, kids would probably revolt at that sort of stuff. You know, Second World War memorabilia. But uh, no. I completely agree. And certain brands were able to do that and provide, I guess, hitting those basic needs we were talking about originally. Liz, the other thing I think, just building on our sort of back to basics thought process was, I think yesterday, I think was um, within our discussion, we were talking about sort of the briefing process. So when new products or new campaigns are being formulated and put together, uh, or even design briefs, we spoke about the process that we tend to go through as creatives. Um, and one of the first steps that we have is that what we term as the discovery sessions, which is the initial conversations that we have with the customer or client to understand who the brand is, what they're about, and trying to extract their own core values from them. So we can start to put that as a personality into the design that we're going to be creating. Um, have you got any thoughts on that, Lise, the sort of discovery sessions and how they could perhaps be... I guess, developed even further in the process that we're looking at right now after post-COVID. What kind of sparked our conversation as well is that we had a nice bit or interesting debate about brand strategy versus like just churn and burn type design. So there's been an awful lot, and we talk about reactive stage of churn and burn. So just knock it out, get anything out there that puts our word and our, our brand and our presence out there in kind of marketing, I would call it. But, um, but, you know, like there's a lot of been reactive stage. And now that we're going back to this whole we're talking about brand strategy and you and I have done our churn and burns, but we are also quite strategic designers. And that comes with experience as well, because the more you take a brief and once you reach a level where you go and meet the clients and you take a brief and you have to ask all the right questions. So I know you said this week you'd been working with a remote team um, and it was just like to help them out a little bit. But actually understanding by asking the right questions got you the right answer. And there's been a huge rise in the role for well, strategists, just pure strategists, and also strategic designers. And it's slowly growing over here. I know that we're probably a bit behind the UK and stuff. Um, but I think it definitely got me thinking that there is – I've always loved strategy, and I've always done a bit more – I've always been a strategic designer. Like I had my core back in advertising, so you were taught to think and then make it look good. But I think things have to move a lot quicker. And so that discovery stage at the moment, the, the rise in UX, UI, the masses of different channels that we can now communicate across, I think that's where the strategic role and the discovery range comes in, is to go, how do we want to, first, what are our core values? Who are we? What are we? And who are our target market? That some people don't even know that. Like I know I worked with a client last year and you said, who do you want to market it to? Or who do you want to sell your product to? And they said, everyone. And every client that we've ever had says, well, we would just want to sell it to everyone. But it's not quite that simple. But that's just about asking the right questions. And I know we have like some people, there's a lot of fluff in our industry. And there's a lot of bit, oh, but you need to pay for this. Like ultimately, they want something tangible, something that can hit the market with. But even asking the question of what's the winning answer to this? So when this is live and out in the world, what does it, does it bring you more money? Does it bring you more neutral? You know, what, what's, what's the end game? And then you can work back from the end game. You can define what your core values are. And that's what a discovery session is for me. It's like almost like a, it's a brainstorm session. It's going out and researching. Once you find out and you have that discussion as to who are your competitors? 
who are the people that buy into it? What other areas can we get people buying into your category from their category? Where can we borrow from? And kind of why should people care about you? You need to know all of those things. And a discovery session can do that. Well, they're fundamental questions. They're, these are fundamental questions, which I think often in certain projects, certainly if it's a, you're asked to create, a, in generic terms, a range extension, and they assume that perhaps those fundamental questions haven't changed and they're still based on previous answers provided years ago. Um, I think you have to keep asking yourself these questions on a regular basis. So things like, what's the big goal for that particular product or brand? What do they want to be doing? Who do they want to be seen by? Who's their, sort of their target consumer? What's the brand's USP? What, what's, what can they offer that other brands don't offer? And use those as your platform to communicate what it is you do and what you can do and what you can provide without knowing those answers. Or if those answers have been provided months ago and so many things have changed. For example, we know that the market's changed coming out and coming back into the world in this our new normal where we know that consumers are more comfortable buying online we do know that we know that brands now have to have a greater operation let's say in an online capacity and understanding what it is people are after what sorts of promotions people are being moved towards via online and when, even when it's not online I mean it's actually a sort of a hard purchase in the store what the consumers are looking for in terms of offers. Um, so it is the fundamental questions we cannot forget to ask. It's true. And I think that's where, like, whilst we might put that on a strategy hat, like that is, it's strategic thinking, whoever's hat might want to wear it. A designer can think that way. I don't think it needs to be quite as, and to be honest, often a designer, if you're a strategic thinking designer, you're the one who ends up knowing what you want it to look like on the offset of all of that. But I think, yes, it's just asking the right questions. So it's about, you know, discovery stages about conversations, gathering evidence, gathering research, bringing it all together and then getting rid of the clutter so that we can then move forward with the branding of it. And we do quite a lot over here. We do quite a lot of what we call um, innovation sprints, where it's just about pushing out as much and discovering as much as possible to then come up with the best ideas. And definitely, and we do agile strategy as well is something that Martin Neumeyer talks about in his um, in his books because you know there is there are so many different things that come come out of a strategy, but really you need the, the simplest. And definitely for brands at the moment, they need the kind of like you said yesterday. You can spend so long on some of these discovery stage only to come back. You finally give the designers something to work with. They work with it. It's not what the client wants. So it all needs to be quite fluid and quite quick. I think so. And I, I think the most importantly, and I know we mentioned this again the other day, is it's it's not a science. It's not something which is so overly complicated. And I think many design agencies will make it appear like they've got hold of this magic solution, which no other agency can provide, with, provide you with. Um, and they've created this sort of answer to this complicated science theory. It's not. It's just asking the right questions and the basic questions and then using that information in your creative and making sure that the client is fully aware that you've been basically using the answers that they gave up front applied to your design. It's not complex in any way whatsoever. I think there's a really nice, someone said to me um, recently, like there, I think it's, there are, I, I don't want to say the exact number, but like there are 18,000 design agencies in the UK and that's without all the freelance designers like why would someone pick you over someone else and then I thought about that in terms of our brands and back to basics and actually Martin Neumeyer talks about it quite a lot in his book Zag and he talks about that there are 
billions of brands out there in the world and they can't all be quicker they can't all be cheaper and so if you're if you're not able to differentiate into an extreme level you've got to have a reason for someone to pick you over the next guys there's so much clutter out there so you've really got to simplify and bring it back down to who you are why you exist and why people should care as simply and cleanly as possible because we can't all be the best or the quickest or the cheapest and whilst there are clients that do want that and there are consumers that want that, ultimately, if they're going to stick with you, it's because you build up the story and the relationship and you've got to connect and build that relationship. And that's the hardest bit. And once you've got people, generally, you've got them. I mean, when we think about all the brands that we buy into, like, you know, like I'm a Nike person and I just like everything that they stand for, everything they produce, their clothes. So I buy into that brand. And it's for the same reason we buy into Apple. And I think it's about trusting who they are and every piece of communication they put out. This is where strategy is relevant because they've had a bunch of people to go, this is the kind of tone of voice we have to use. This is who we are. And it comes from everyone believes that mantra of who they are within the business. And so it projects. But until you define who you are, until you and I say what's important to us when we work in a design studio, trust, authenticity, transparency and honesty and finding solutions rather than problems is always one of my big deal breakers because you kind of go if so many people sit around a boardroom go it's their fault that's the problem that's why it happened like I mean, it really doesn't matter where the problem came from let's just fix it and some of these discovery sessions can if we do, if they're not forced the right way and if you don't ask the questions the right way even you kind of just get a it's their fault or bots and you don't want bots like it's fine tell it as it is and then let's fix it because that's our job we're problem solvers so do you do you think that as an industry we can improve on how we're doing it definitely <laughs> it's all about communication we're in a communication industry and like you i mean the example you gave to me actually yesterday of the print ready artwork was fantastic like the, the conversations if you'd not had that conversation with your team you would have got something by the end of the week that was not what was needed people would have done more work than was necessary and it would have skipped further ahead than was than you even needed and it's do you know what and it boils down to something even as simple as when you put together a mood board and someone says i want it to be pre we're a premium brand what is premium to you because what's premium to me might be very different to what's premium to the client and if you don't ask that and have those brainstorming sessions to go all right what are we looking at that we, what else do we think is premium and some people go tesco finest is premium and some people go oh i think that goopods or Apple is premium. It's, it's a different mindset. And we've got to get into, okay, that's also, you've also then got to get into the headset of that's what you think because you own it. You've got to flip it and think about it from a consumer's point of view. And that's what, what's, that's what's really nice over there. Like I've seen a lot more brands now think about it from a consumer point of view rather than we want to sell this or we want to market this service or whatever. So I think there's a, there is a, definitely a flip in that. Groceries, grocery and retail has definitely flipped it to go, what do people need? The way that some brands have tailored their online services during this time has been great. Yeah, massively. Well, I think that's the, the hot ticket now for many consumers is getting the, the delivery slots, the right delivery slot in place. And I guess the retailers are making the most of those now and making the we know we've got a great opportunity here. I saw some figures this morning. Tesco's are noticing that sort of customers are buying 64% more in their weekly shopping. Um, I'm hoping I got that right. Yeah, a lot, a lot more simply because um, they're sort of buying, but they're buying, they're going, they're shopping less. So they're not having two or three visits in the week. It's one visit, but they're buying more. 
because people do a lot more planning I suppose and they are able to schedule like what they actually need it's like the old days like how like years ago did your mom used to do one big shop a week <laughs> whereas now we just pick things up all the time yeah I guess I think I actually think people with families probably plan a bit better than say people who are just like couples or you know just like single professionals that just kind of just grab what you want on the way home but definitely in that umbrella research they did pull out on the fact that grocery and retail specifically people wanted functionality over personalization and through their online channels they were really looking to a reassured delivery like I know that I need this by then can I have it by that time so that was that was really important to Australian consumers that's and I think that's the same here in the UK and I think that's hasn't that changed over the years where brands were focusing very much on personalization and uh, from everything from the pack format to the customer experience but now it is down to functionality I think it's a lot of it's being driven by speed and price I think as well, like I think there's actually a big split. So there's a recent podcast I've listened to and I'll have to have a look. I think it's called Future Stylus is the podcast channel. And they did one recently on retail in Asia. And they talked very much about at the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of a cutback. But now some of the very, very high-end premium brands, so, you know, like your, I don't know, like your Karl Lagerfeld type brands, like your top premium end, there's been a real people buying into the limited edition products more so I think whilst we just said people don't want personalization in the sort of middle categories, but then there are certain people that just want that luxury and that premiumness that's made just for them. So it's, it, it surprised me. It was quite an interesting podcast, actually, because they really did talk about the um, Asian market specifically and how they've seen such a, an upsurge in specialized orders from very high end premium. Tell us about some of the examples that you've got of brands doing a good, doing a good job. Yeah, well, I was saying, Lise, I do have a couple of examples, um, and I think they were highlighted in, a, in a, an article I was reading by one of the people who works at the Grey Advertising Agency, a design agency called Jess Smith, and she wrote an article um, how FMCG brands can respond to the change in COVID, uh, and she highlighted a couple of really good examples, and one of which was Heinz. Now, throughout this whole process, and I, I think I touched on it previously, how um, online supermarket delivery slots have become the sort of the most in-demand luxuries of almost our time, if you like. She says that Heinz have capitalised on that, have created a campaign, which is called Heinz at Home, where they've almost almost skipped out the middleman, so the retailers aren't necessarily required, and they're having direct deliveries from their factories to the consumer which I think is fascinating to watch. And these are sort of packages for not just baked beans, I'd have soups and you can buy sort of multi-packs or sort of pick and mix type packs. I, I thought it was a fantastic little idea in which someone's sort of expanded on, um, I guess, the desire for people to have deliveries from home and then not to have to go through profit squeezing uh, multiple retailers that sort of tend to punish the uh, the brands. Based on that, actually, um, the whole Heinz at the moment I know we've spoken about a few good brands that are doing things that aren't just COVID-based, but they have an offset of it. Cadbury was what we talked about before. But Heinz have actually also just done a beautiful rebrand and repositioning with JKR, I think it is, that have done the identity, where the new visuals for their e-com platform yes, I saw that. just really make them stand off. Like We're all shopping online. We're having to pick groceries online. They've done a really amazing job of making the groceries online make they just look as tasty as they do if you bought it from the store and it's just as simple as they drop like a nice little drop of 
color behind a real simple clean can or whatever of beans but it just brings it to life it's such a again brands back to simplicity the simplest of things can just really ignite it's a food category we want it to taste good when we look at it even if we're looking at it on a screen instead of a supermarket and we can't touch it you've got to evoke those senses without even being able to touch the actual physical pack and so i mean us as packaging designers we need to think about that you know like if someone can't pick it up they can't get to the store to look at it how can you evoke all of those different senses the taste the texture um, and how it makes you feel when you eat it through a, you know and i'm not saying an e-com platform can do that but j power have done a really good job of simplifying that brand and like you say that model of making people that heinz from home that's great that's yeah it is i think that jkr example and if i re recollect um from some of the conversations that i've seen written about it that was all about aligning the global brand to ensure again we're talking about simplicity often brands over periods of time their regional markets across the world will look slightly different um just because of they've got sort of different market cues in different regions um so what might work across in australia language-wise might not necessarily work or align itself with the uk market for argument's sake or elsewhere within the world yet that whole campaign was just ensuring that everything sort of squeezed back together to make sure it was one clear message um so yeah like i said hats off to jkr for what they've achieved there it looks beautiful lovely work so at least another example i had actually which was again named by this uh, um in, within this article was a brand called Small. I don't know if you've heard of it. They provide some eco-friendly biological laundry and dishwasher detergent. They send it to you like a subscription service. That's right. So previously, I think they were selling just in sort of small uh, outlets, but they were, they've now made better use of their sort of, I guess, online capacity. And now they're selling through subscription. Um, and we talk about back to basics. It's about, right, how can we make sure that we've, we can continue uh, revenue stream coming in uh, and make it more worthwhile for us as, as a product manufacturer um, by forming this subscription format, which I think is brilliant. And as the more brands that do it, it's better, obviously, for helping them through these sort of quieter times. If they've got people who have signed up for, let's say, six, 12 month subscriptions and they know what their cash flow is going to be. And they've done really good in terms of like they've addressed the sustainability issue that's around at the moment. I think there's some really good brands that are doing things like that. Like I've been doing quite a lot of. Um, nerding out recently reading about lab-grown meat which I was I, I was just sort of fascinated by at first but now it's coming into its own and what they can do and recreate real meats but in a lab so no animals are harmed and just the whole sustainability issue has been a hot topic for a long time this pandemic has brought it even closer to us um, so yeah like you say like the subscription models and just the innovation that's a go that are going on it's a really good question and I don't want I'm, I don't want to go off the subject too too much but i do think it probably is probably worth a conversation is sustainability as uh, and products being eco-friendly right now is it on the front of people's minds do you think still given the fact that people are now obviously cost aware and price conscious that they are still of think well we're still going to make sure that we're our products and brands that we're buying into are sustainable well i would say definitely here in australia and from looking at some of the trend watching stuff that i've been looking at it's not that it's a People are all, we'd already reached a point where people expect it. So I actually think, and I, I argued this with the keep cups actually when it all started and everyone said, oh, but if this would have happened five years ago, no one would have used keep cups, one thing, but also normal paper cups wouldn't have been recyclable. So although most people haven't been able to use keep cups here, 
We've already found a solution to recyclable or biodegradable cutlery and tops. So I think it's become an expectation. It, it probably depends what the product is. So I think if we're talking about lab-grown meat, people don't necessarily expect everyday meat to be ethical. And it, it's still, I think that's a different one in that it still costs a lot more to eat organic, to eat grass-fed, or to eat vegan. But I think the cost of eating vegan is going down. We now need to improve the quality of, like, like lab-grown meat would cost too much money at the moment compared to real meat. So it still becomes a bit elitist. But I think on some levels, it definitely in terms of like eco-friendly washing tablets and things, it's a bit of an expectation. And I think the prices of those have come down enough for everyday people to afford them. Yeah. But I, and you made an absolutely perfect point there is just before we went into lockdown, this is consumers expected that already. If it was something that now consumers weren't aware of, they wouldn't necessarily expect it and therefore it wouldn't necessarily be part of that brand offering. Um, I guess my question was, what are the sort of key brand messages that we want to make overtly clear in any sort of brand communication, be it packaging or point of sale or whatever? And is that still going to be an important message that consumers want to be listening out for um, and brands that want to be singing out about? Um, and I agree with you. I think it is. But it's just I wanted to raise that question. That's good. I think it also depends if it's inherent in your brand. So, you know, people like Patagonia, their mission has always been about sustainability. So I think don't fudge it into a brand if it doesn't already exist. If people know you for it, great. You can amplify that message. Um, and if not, just think about how as a product or service, you can sort of build it into it going forward. The other thing, which the other example, um, <laughs> this is quite a funny one, actually. The other example of back to basics, are they doing it well? Is, and I had mentioned to you yesterday, Lise, and it's been referred to as collision pairing. Now, this is brands that have got together completely randomly and just to, to see what, almost see what happens in the market. I mean, we talk about brand innovation. Um, is this the right time to be doing it? I don't know. Maybe it is. In a, in a crisis, consumers want to be seeing something different, something new, and find something more entertaining and innovative. But this particular brand pairing was a real odd one. So it's your Lynx um, brands, Lynx sort of shower gels and deodorants. So Lynx Africa and Marmite is a new fragrance offering from Lynx. And it, I don't know who's done it, actually. BP Creative, I think, was the um, the guys who did it. But it's, it's, in the last day or two, it's certainly been shared quite widely. What do we think about what do we think about it? Because it definitely happens here. And, the, and it's normally with I don't want to put it in a bracket, but it's normally like with junk food or indulgent food. So there's even even premium and indulgent food. So there's things like tea. So Tim Tams is obviously a chocolate here. It's like a biscuit. It's, you know, very iconic Australia. But they've teamed up with a very famous ice cream company called Messina. And they did Tim Tam Messinas. So just and actually Cornetto did Cornetto Messinas as well. So there's sort of a collision where it's adding to your indulgence or whether it's I mean, Lynx and Marmite is just surely a bit of a crash course. And the one thing I will say about that is actually I mean, it's going off on a bit of a tangent, is that in this time at the moment, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's time of great change. And I love change. You love change. But so many people are terrified of change. And none of us know what the changes are going to be. And they, even the changes and the goalposts change every single day. So actually, what you need sometimes in this situation is a good reason to escape it and a bit of a laugh. And so if this is a bit of a laugh and a bit of a joke and it's a bit of fun, why not? Like there's a really good this week's Creative Rebels podcast um, has got Jamali Maddox in, who's a comedian over there in the UK. And he's fantastic. He talks about having dreams and the ability to try. 
And he very much just talks about that whole, like, do you know what? Everything is uncertain right now. So just go out there and do it. And that's why I think, like, if you've got your core values and your who, what, why, then just put yourself out there. And there's a lot people, research has proven recently, um, and I'm trying to think of a particular study, people are a lot more forgiving at the moment. So if you go out there and you get it wrong and you say, I'm sorry, I got it wrong, people are a lot more forgiving than they used to be. I think so. And the other thing as well, which I think Marmite as a brand, certainly the last few years, has been known as a bit more of an innovation, innovative brand. I mean, they did, I think it was maybe two years ago, they trialled Marmite with peanut butter here in the UK. And at first thought, which was the most disgusting, I like peanut butter, I like Marmite, would I like them both together? It's still in the market at the moment, and it's still you can still buy it. So it's obviously working. But you kind of think, it's good for brands to try things and see if it works. And I like it. I like brands that want to take risks. And I think we all do. We all sort of like that sort of entrepreneurial spirit if people are just willing to give it a go. And if brands can do the same, it almost sort of, and we spoke about this before, humanises that brand. Because they, oh, you can see they're having a bit of a laugh and giving it a go. Yeah, like the, the reality of it is like insane. And when you someone says to you, like, it's links and one might you go like, no. But then you think about how, like you said, like, give it a shot. Like the campaigns that links have done over the years have been brilliant. But they're brands that will give it a go. And I think going back to what we were talking about originally about taking things back to basics, it's sometimes once you have those two brands, links um, and Marmite, we know what their core values are. They've never stayed away from it. They have two set products, which I think are great. Um, both links and Mama are willing to try things, and you kind of like that in that brand. Oh, definitely. And I think when we go back to that whole discovery session, like it would have been just uh, people sitting around and come, like just brainstorming. This is what our innovation sprint type things can come up with to go like, all right, what can we put out there? Oh, I think it's brilliant. I mean, I mean, have you got any other examples over in Australia, Lise, that you sort of can think of apart from the sort of the um, ones we've discussed already, uh, which are where you think they're doing the back to basics well? Here it's more sort of the experience of people so it's brands that have kind of enhanced people's experience of getting through this pandemic um there's been so many um local businesses and things actually there's a really there's a local business just down the road from me that as a cafe that people would always go into it was quite a health-based cafe so when all of this happened they really turned to the social and online and they had the whole order as order through our social channels and you can pick it up outside their tone of voice every day has been very much a we'll get through this together so actually and and it echoes through them as staff so I remember this cafe that you go in and they remember your name they remember what your coffee is and so almost the way they projected themselves on social was really simple like their whole Instagram campaign has been like we got your back you know toasties on special today ready with your winter warmers and a smile just simple tone of voice so i think it doesn't always we talked about some big brands here today but i think even down to like even us as people you know how we project ourselves the message we put across like it felt like everything that came through their instagram feed to me each day felt like them it felt like me going into the cafe and the tone of voice and the jokes came from that cafe so i think even that just retaining who they were and they innovated and they're now back open and they had, you know, they did groceries online and all sorts of things. And now they're doing ta- tapas, tapas and tacos every Thursday night. So just little ways to get people to connect with them and also to con- connect with each other. So I actually think what there's been here is more kind of a bit more entrepreneurial type brand winners. There's definitely people in the local area. And whereas some companies that are in the area that have been here 20, 25 years have completely gone. They've just gone, we can't do 
can't do this anymore. Like we can't fight it anymore. And so they've just ceded to it. Whereas some of the little, some of the ones that have had that little fighting spirit that, oh, look, we have to try. They're the ones that seem to be doing okay here in Australia. The, um, I guess, going back to what uh, some of the original verbiage, if you like, that was being banded about, um, just as we were starting to go into lockdown was brand controllers, if you like, or brand owners were talking about brands being able to adapt and pivot and innovate. Um, and those that don't are the ones that are going to, going to suffer at the end of this. And those that do are the ones that are going to be survive and thrive. And you're absolutely right. It's the smaller retailers that have been able to sort of twist and turn at each corner and say, right, what else can we do? And cafes and pubs have been doing the same here. Some pubs have been doing takeouts and they have little mini breweries. They're producing beers or delivering craft beers direct to people's homes. And they'll have a little delivery van that goes out. They take on online deliveries and they're going to deliver their own beers. And um, these are people who are having to adapt because they have no other alternative they have no other source of income what else can they do to make that income come through which again brings it down to that sort of entrepreneurial spirit and small brands need to be doing it big brands need to be doing it and it's also it's also as well thinking about it from a consumer point of view so yes we can go out there and put our message out this is who we are there's a really nice there's an article that um, has just been released by the future of purpose trend watching Um, and they say in that through all of their kind of findings that consumers will embrace brands that innovate to solve shared social environmental challenges. So I think we talked before about, do we expect people to care about the environment and brands to support us? Yes. And if they show us they're doing that, we will then support them. So it's kind of think about like how you're helping other people as well as helping yourself. I love it. Basic brand connection, connecting with customers. It is what it's all about, actually. And if I can leave anyone with a TED talk that I was watching in preparation for us doing this is, and it's an old TED talk, but it's still really good. I shared it with a few people this week is Adam Grant talks about original thinkers, Google his TED talk. We can perhaps include it in the notes. I'll send it along to you. And he just talks about the power of innovation and creative thinking, be it in a crisis or don't always assume, you know, the answers because you never know what's around the corner. And it's just, he talks really well about kind of people who think a bit differently to the way everyone else is thinking, but only within the, only within the confines of who they truly are. They don't think different just to think different. They think differently because there's a purpose and a reason to. Lise, that's fantastic. Um, I'm going to put all the links that we both discussed today into the show notes. Um, and in terms of way in which people can contact us, they haven't changed. They're the same as normal, but just in case people haven't got them. Lise, how can people get in contact with you? You can find my website at lisahastings.me or you can find me on Instagram, Shoebox20 or just good old LinkedIn, Lisa Hastings. And you, Mark? Um, I am, you know, I don't even know all my handles. I'm going to put them in the show notes because they're all slightly different, but pretty much you can contact me um, via my own website, which is Blue Nectar Design or um, on LinkedIn is probably the best way to do it. Lisa, this has been brilliant. I've loved it. And no doubt things are going to be changing again in the next few weeks. There'll be more hopefully unlocking of the economies we'll talk when you're when you're back in the gym oh i know then i won't be podcasting for months i've got some catching up to do i've got spaghetti arms and uh, a bit of a pot belly so i'm hoping to get rid of those (laughs) i'm sure i've put on about three stone but uh brilliant lisa this has been great and uh, we'll catch that soon hopefully sounds good thanks mark